Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 49. The 5 is starting to creep up on me like a patrol car, as Eminem likes to say. <laughs> uh, this is the final push. This is the final push episode. Every one of these leagues, all the main cups, we're arriving at that point where silverware is being picked up. We're arriving at that point where leagues are being won, titles are being... The stranglehold on the top positions is being finished. Teams who are really in desperate relegation trouble are pretty much already dead and buried. There's, it's, it's all starting to come into focus. I say final push because it's from now until the end of the season that every week we're going to start getting one narrative after another of teams either dropping out of some kind of race or their position being cemented or managers and their futures looking more and more certain. A lot is going to happen in the next couple months. This is, I think, this this past week just felt like the switch that turns on. It always happens that way after that spring international break. We're now, like everyone, it's the sprint. There's no, there's no other things that get in the way between now and the end of the season. And it's going to be really, really fascinating. So, English Premier League, we'll start there. Top four race heats up, gets a little bit more interesting. Of course, Arsenal, you know, got themselves completely out of it 100% now. There's just no chance they're going to make a, a, a push to get there. Liverpool, with the sublime Diogo Jota, went ahead and got themselves a 3-0 victory. They were very convincing. It looked like a really good way to walk into the week where they would be coming in and playing Real Madrid. We'll get to that in a few. So Liverpool resurrect themselves while Chelsea self-demolish and pretty much immolate themselves. It was an incredible game to watch. I, I As a Chelsea fan, I wake up at 5.30 in the morning for this one. It's the, the first game on Saturday. I was going to coach a few games later in the day. I was all jazzed up and excited. Put my kid on. 1-0 up. Thiago Silva gets a red card for two yellows that were just very naive. Unfortunate, yes, in a way, but... They were weird, weird decisions to make, the tackles. So all of a sudden, you've got your best center back out, your goal up, but you're playing West Brom. And you're like, look, of all teams, this is one you can probably soak up some pressure and just hit them on the break and beat them 2-3-0 maybe. But West Brom, that's the best performance of the season from them. No question. And there have been warning signs. I remember the game, I think it was against Burnley or Newcastle, they had they were a player down and they looked like the team that was going to win the game. They, they were exceptional. Now, since then, I haven't really seen them play all that well, aside from being sort of like a cohesive defensive unit, right? But they were unbelievable against Chelsea. Unbelievable. And I, I mean, the goals that they scored were of such high caliber that even though I'm watching the team that I support getting thrashed, I was laughing. I was sitting in bed laughing watching this and could not literally just turn the escape button and then close the thing. I couldn't do it. It was it was too impressive to watch. So hats off to West Brom for that one. And there was always going to be a sobering moment for this Thomas Tuchel era. There was no way that this was just going to keep on keeping on in the same way. At some point, there was going to be a wake-up call. Probably came at the right time before you go and play Porto in midweek. Like I said, we'll get to the Champions League in a minute. Jesse Lingard. My goodness. What an awesome story this is for him. I'm really excited for him. I don't really care 
whether or not he stays at West Ham, if they're able to to keep him, that'd be awesome for the club. I think it'd be great for the league uh, in, in so many ways. Do I think he'll stick around? I don't know. Maybe this is what relaunches his Man United career. So, look, I feel for all you West Ham fans. For you, I would love for Jesse Lingard to sign for West Ham. The reality is, we don't know. The most exciting thing is he's going to be back in the England setup. He, he And he's now a player that we will see in the Premier League. He's not just a guy that peaked late for like a year or two and then disappeared. I think Jesse Lingard's going to be around. And I think that's a great thing because he's, he's an awesome personality and a really good player to watch. And he's picked up the slack of goals that Thomas Susek's on fire. Thomas Susek's beard being on fire has now waned. Jesse Lingard's picked up the slack. I'm sure David Moyes couldn't ask for any more. Really, really great for them. All right, we're going to move on. Get out of the Premier League. Uh, Serie A. Is it over? Really close. There's nine games to go. And AC Milan are trailing Inter by 10 points. Or 11. I don't even remember. And Juve, who I still think are the only team that has the capabilities and the squad to be able to put a, a, together a run that might make Inter nervous. That that now is passing every day. Even though Juventus beat Napoli yesterday, Inter won as well. And Inter from here on out, they don't care how they get the results. The only competition they have to worry about is Serie A. They're gonna, I think they're going to win the league with three or four games to spare because I, I just feel like Juve understand full well that this season hasn't quite worked out, but it hasn't been a total failure. So for anyone who wants Pirlo sacked or thinks that he should be sacked because he did, didn't achieve what this squad should have, I, I, first of all, I don't think that's really fair. Dybala has barely been in the picture this season, almost entirely because of a lot of injuries. And every time he comes back, he seems to produce something that makes you excited. Cristiano Ronaldo... Top goal scorer for the team. has got 25 league goals. I mean, they have what they need. Weston, as I said before, Weston McKinney and Enrico Chiesa, um, and Federico Chiesa, I'm sorry, they came in and were exactly the type of young, dynamic players that really are more suited to the, to the current game. I, I just think that they went in a lot of the right directions. And now it's going to be about trimming off some of the fat in the squad getting some people out that they don't need, that they don't really want, replacing them with just another couple players that really add some personality and drive and leadership into the team, and, and Juve will be right back again next season. So Inter Milan, you cannot blow this. You cannot blow this. You have to wrap up this title, break Juve's dominance, put Serie A back on the map for real. And AC Milan, you have to stay in this top four. You've got to qualify for the Champions League. And then beyond that, the the race for top four in Italy is so outrageously tight. It's going to be exciting all the way through. So this photo finish to the Italian season, in a way, it, it, it's it's one of the best things for the league. It's probably the most positive era right now being being created in Italy for well over a decade. So this is exciting. Moving on to Liga. All right, my boys, Lille. Lusk, they went and beat PSG. Uh, they win 1-0. Sorry, went. They won 1-0 at home. Neymar gets sent off for two ridiculous yellow cards that a player of his stature at this point should not be getting. Um, look, Eden Hazard doesn't fight people because he gets fouled so often. 
You know, Jack Grealish doesn't fight people because he gets fouled so often. Neymar continuously goes and retaliates. And look, I get it. He gets whacked. But A, you hold the ball too long and you ask for it. And you are a dangerous target player. People are going to try to stop you in order to stop your team. So you have to take that responsibility. You're no longer 22, 23 and can just say, yeah, I got a hot head and then my passion is what makes me great. He just got sent off and I'm not sure what his suspension will be. It's probably just two yellows, so it'll probably just be one game. But PSG, and we'll get to what is going on for them in the Champions League as well, they are in a situation where they are three points back from Lille. They have a far superior goal difference, so that makes it kind of more like two points. And they have a far easier run-in, far easier run-in than Lille. They've, they've got nothing but teams below the bottom five. Lille still have to play against Lyon, and they have a few very difficult away fixtures, and they have their northern derby against Lens, which is, it's a derby. The fact, the idea that PSG can't win the rest of their games in Ligue 1, take a look at the schedule, they absolutely could win out. Can Lille win out? I don't think so. They're not experienced enough to be able to put that kind of a run together in this pressure cooker stage of the season. It's a young team. Also, funny thing about Lille, just a little side note, they're in a pretty serious debt situation with their finances. And when you look at their squad, you kind of understand why. This is not a team that makes it to the Champions League perennially, and they have a squad that looks like it was assembled to be better than Dortmund. Um, so really, really interesting. They're going to have to shift some players, sell some players, sell some of their talent, and hopefully it doesn't destroy what they've done. But my goodness, as a Lille fan, if they could win this title, it would be a massive accomplishment. And again, it would be one of those things that puts the league in a better place. Just like Serie A, once you have the throne completely destabilized and changed over, it, it's, it, it, it really causes a sea change in the league. Could PSG lose the league this season, double down on their finances this season, and win for another 10 straight years? Yes, possibly. But the amount of talent that can start to come into the league increases because PSG say, we've got to get better. So if the top team decides we've got to get better because the others around are improving, then it's a good situation for the league. I don't think that's what's happening in Germany, by the way. I think Bayern just continue to strip everyone of their resources at the moments that they need to. Maybe people are okay with that in Germany. I don't know. I'm, it's, I'm not going to really weigh in on what I feel about it, but that's, I'd say, the difference between the German league, and the other two that are sort of on the rise again. All right, moving on to La Liga. Atleti choke again. This is, they are in total free fall. If they were not top of the table up until this point, they would currently be dropping out of the top four. They would be going to mid-table if they had been third or something in this time. They are really struggling. And I think a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I, I made the point that they, they just didn't look in the same kind of form as Barcelona. I said that Atleti were a boat with holes all over it, and the only person with duct tape seemed to be Luis Suarez. Well, his goals have started to dry up a little bit, and now you can see they don't seem to have any plan. Joao Felix injured. It's real trouble for them. And Barcelona and Real Madrid, the Clásico, is tomorrow. So that will be... Fascinating. I mean, I'm sure Atleti are just dying for a draw. 
And a worst case scenario for them would be Real Madrid winning. But here's the problem is they are so screwed because their form is off. And Real Madrid and Barcelona, no matter what happens, if Real Madrid lose, if Barcelona lose, either one of those teams, this won't collapse them. They're just going to turn the switch again. So Atleti have, they, they can't hope for anything at this point. They just have to go and start getting the job done. I don't think they're going to be able to do it. Barcelona, I think, have the edge to win this league. They are not involved in the Champions League. And as we saw with Real Madrid, they're probably going to still be alive in it. And as a matter of fact, they have to play Liverpool in just a few days. So Barcelona are going to come out ready to go. And I have a strong feeling that Barcelona will win the Clasico and then go on to win La Liga in a short space of time here. But outside of the top, one really beautiful thing that happened, Real Sociedad won the Copa del Rey. Give my little trophy celebration as always for those of you just listening. I uh, I currently am holding a little trophy with an old school inaugural MLS soccer ball on it. This is what I bring out every time someone wins something. So wanted to say congratulations to Real Sociedad for it. Um, the coach being a fan, pulling out the scarf in the press conference, singing the song. It's it's a really, really important moment. I think if you don't, if you're kind of like, eh, whatever, Real Sociedad, you know, they won, the, they won the Copa del Rey, so what? Well, they beat Atletico Bilbao in the final. If you don't know where Bilbao and San Sebastian, which is where Real Sociedad are based, these are both in the Basque country. These are the two biggest teams in the Basque region. So it's a big, big, big derby. And recently, Atletico Bilbao have been picking up Copa del Rey. They've, they've won the Copa del Rey. They've won the Supercopa. They, they've, they've actually added some silverware to their drawers. This is the first piece of silverware, a major trophy, that Real Sociedad have won since 1987. They were promoted. They won the second division and came back. So they obviously got a trophy for that. But we're talking about major trophy, right, where you're competing against the top teams in your country, the fact that Real Sociedad now, since 1987, that this is their first piece of silverware since then, it was a party in San Sebastián. Make no mistake about it, this was a big moment for La Real. So, congratulate them. The unfortunate thing that happened in La Liga was the Juan Cala incident, uh, where Cadiz, in Cadiz, who plays for Cadiz, where alleged racial abuse to Mukhtar Diakabi of Valencia, look, from what the, a lot of the players are saying, uh, players for Valencia seem to have heard it or or, caught, or got an understanding for what happened, and no one from Cadiz is really saying anything. Understandably so. It's really tough. What do you do? Do you throw your bro under the bus? You know, do you, like what what do you do if you're Cadiz? This is a really difficult situation for them. Um, the shameful thing is that the players walk off the pitch to make a statement. And La Liga at that point should understand the gravity of what is going on, the fact that there's that many eyeballs on it, the fact that they, the Valencia players were told, go back out on the pitch or you're losing the three points now. That's disappointing. It's really disappointing because that is a moment to take action. They didn't. And so what? Now, the next day, La Liga's socials and everything say we condemn racism, this, that, and the other. Well, you have to condemn it in the moment. And would anyone have been all that upset if that game was just called off? 
No, I don't think anyone would have cared. I think we'd be talking about something that is good, that we advance the situation a little bit more, that we advance the conversation. So that's... Well, keep an eye on this one. I don't really know. I mean, it was really, really fascinating to see Juan Cala come out and basically do a press conference and say, I've been lynched publicly and this is not true and I didn't do this. So that's that's what makes the whole thing interesting. Instead of coming out and just apologizing, he doubled down on I didn't do it. And so that makes it difficult, right? Honestly, I don't know what happened. I'm not going to jump in and you know, point fingers, I'm just going to say, well, aside from La Liga, I think they should have handled the situation like this and taken the responsibility away from the players and the referees and just been like, okay, we see this. It's, it's, it's a rough situation. It's everyone's watching it. It's going to be talked about. We need to deal with this now. Postpone the game, play it at a later time, whatever. Well, that's all for today. I wanted to actually also let you guys in on a little thing I did this morning. I woke up at 5.30 a.m. because I did a little partner episode with Alex Peters of the Scoreless Thriller podcast. Please, please go and check out his show. It's really good. The the, the interviews and the stories that that, that he's gotten, um, they're not your everyday. And so it's kind of fun to get a window in different sides of football. Um, he talked to Manny Jasmi, who is a guy who, a journalist who has covered all kinds of amazing football stories. And one point that he made that I really loved in the episode was the football world that most people talk about that's on TV that, that, that drags all the headlines. That is 1%, maybe even less of the actual totality of the football world. There are beautiful stories happening everywhere on earth in the football world. You just have to go looking for them. So a question for all of you, are you a football fan or are you just an elite level spectacle fan? Either one's fine. If the only thing you really care about is high class elite football and television, great, cool. But some of us out there love the game deeply and it's worth it to us to go and find these small stories of how football just improves lives and is a connector and a bonding agent for people, right? Like don't, don't sell yourself short on learning about those stories. And so I want to direct you all to Alex Peters, show the scoreless thriller podcast, because I think he's done a really nice job of putting together different interviews with people that are interesting and they're not your, and they're not your big names that you every day would think about. If you were to write down a list of the people you want to interview A lot of these names wouldn't show up on there. And I think that's the fascinating part. So loved it. Had a great conversation with him. We had a lot of fun. So please go ahead and check out his show as well. And look, great weekend coming up. We had, uh, oh, I forgot to mention the Champions League. Look, you all saw it. Really, in the end, Casemiro, Modric, and Tony Kroos. Let's be honest. Once they control a game, you're done. You're done. ESPN FC had a hilarious segment with Don Hutchinson saying that those were the romantic names that four or five years ago you could see that crew dominating game. No. These are the highest class midfield three that you can put together, basically. I'm not saying they're the best in the world, but that combo is as good as it can get. You can you can probably equal it in some way with a De Bruyne and maybe, you know, there's a few other combinations that would work. This one is one of the best. And I we all saw it. Trent Alexander-Arnold, 
didn't do himself any favors. Unfortunate. I really do feel bad for the kid. But at least now I think it's people are less aghast at the idea that he didn't get picked for England. Especially since 24 hours later, Reese James put in a 9 out of 10 against Porto for Chelsea to win 2-0. Man City, terrific, terrific win against Dortmund. But I have to say I was very, very impressed with the Dortmund side, especially Jude Bellingham. He's growing by leaps and bounds. The kid has become an incredible player. Really unfortunate unfortunate for him. The goal didn't stand because it should have. But this is a situation where, over time, VAR will improve. The referee's mistake was that he didn't allow the play to continue. But this is a referee who was not trained for his whole life with VAR. He was trained to make decisions, and he thought he saw a foul on Ederson, so he called it. We just have to let that one go. It's really unfortunate for Dortmund, but they showed that they can that they can make City uncomfortable. So the second leg might be really interesting. And then PSG bar, PSG against Bayern. Look, Bayern, if you create that many chances, you're gonna win with Lewandowski for sure. But now you got to find a way to get Chupamoting or Denabri, whoever's gonna play, has to put away those opportunities. If they do, they'll beat PSG. But PSG. They're surprising. And, you know, one day they can lose in the league and then they can come and put in a star performance in the Champions League. So mixed bag from them. I don't think you can see them improving a whole lot, but the game is set up in a way that might work in their favor. So going to be really interesting. I did my predictions before, and this is a little topic that um, Alex and I talked about in uh, in the little show we made this morning. So if you're interested in hearing his side of these things, please go check it out. All right, everyone, enjoy your weekend. It's a beautiful time in April. Thanks so much. Oh, and a little shout-out. Happy birthday to my sister, Gemma. Uh, Very proud of her. Very excited. She's hopefully looking for a place uh, to live nearby, move from California here to Denver. Very excited. So happy birthday. Love you, sister. And this is Campfire Football. Have a good day.